welcome to Advisor Talk with Frank LaRosa. Brought to you by Elite Consulting Partners, it's the only podcast offering unfiltered guidance and direct advice for all things concerning financial advisors, RIAs, and the practitioners in the wealth management business. Learn more and subscribe today at EliteConsultingPartners.com slash podcast. And now, here's your host, Frank LaRosa. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Advisor Talk. I am Frank LaRosa. And once again, uh, I am joined here by my right-hand woman uh, and vice president of Elite Consulting Partners, Stacey Frank. Stacey, welcome again. Hey, everyone. Really excited to be back. Let's go. We are uh, We're excited. It's a busy, busy week, and we, we know that these podcasts are important. And so we try to get these things done um, whenever we can, and they're always timely. So if, if you're just joining this show for the first time, all of our topics really just come from conversations that we have during the course of the of the previous week, the current week. Um, and um, one of the episodes we're going to record today actually was based on something that happened today. So, But I'll keep you on bated breath with that one. You have to tune in again. For the stay next, tuned. Yeah, stay tuned, right? Uh, so, But today's topic is one that uh, comes up a lot. And with we just recently hired um, a director of RIA Consulting, uh, Vince Leto, who was at uh, Schwab for many, many years. And so this topic is sort of very timely. And um, Stacey's what I want to talk about because she said about a dozen conversations this week about to be an RIA or not be an RIA, right? And that, that is the question. question. <laughs> there you go. That's pretty good. We didn't even time that. Um, but anyway, that's the question. And it's a question that we get asked all the time. And we get asked for the right reasons and the wrong reasons, right? And so today we thought maybe we'd just go over some some misnomers about, you know, whether you want to be an RIA, what does it mean to to be an RIA? And is the term being an RIA actually a real thing? Because technically you can't be an RIA, right? Well, there's a lot of there's a lot of confusion. So when an advisor team you know, without without dinging on anybody coming out of the captive world or the wirehouse W two world says to us, and it happens all the time, I want to go RIA. My first question back is, what do you mean by that? Because to some teams and some advisors, it means something completely different. So if we don't ask the question and we make an introduction to a really complex, robust platform of an RIA with eleven custodial banks, which I've done before. We have the conversation, we get off the call and the advisor says, whoa, that is nothing like anything I thought. What I meant by going RIA, Stacey, was we want to expand our advisory business. It doesn't mean they want to be an RIA. So we're here to help with that clarification. Yeah, they, and sometimes a lot of times what it means is they just want to be independent, right? They want to get out of the W-2 environment and they just want to be independent. And they think because they are largely advisory focus, right? 70, 80% advisory. That means that they have to go and open up an RIA and be an investment advisor within the RIA. Or, well, file their own ADV yeah, with the SEC. That. And then that puts the compliance risk. So oftentimes I'll say, okay, so, so who's on your staff that's going to do all the compliance for you? And they say, well, I would never want to do something like that. So our goal here at Elite is to help the advisor uncover what that means for their practice. And really, like I say, independence is on a spectrum. The RIA space is on a spectrum as well. Right. And you have to decide, do you want to go from, so you're, you're, at, you're a practitioner, you're at a W-2 environment, 
So I consider you a practitioner. You're not really a business owner yet. Um, until you're paying the bills out of your own checking account, um, you're a practitioner. Um, and so you're not doing compliance. You're, you know, there's a there's an ops person for those things. You have a branch manager for those things. Um, in theory, you're not really taking on any of the oversight risk because you're relying on the firm to do that. When you decide to to create an ADV and you and you build your own RIA, which means you have to get an attorney to do that. You have to get a consultant also, uh, a firm like um, Market Council or um, Lax and Neville, you know, Gallagher. Well, yeah, that. Are you going to get an attorney? So we like to recommend firm, you know, um, a Hamburger Law Firm or ne- uh, Lax and Neville in New York, two great law firms. But it's 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 somewhat expensive, anywhere between fifty thousand and a hundred thousand dollars to to build your your ADV the right way, because you have to think about when you're building an ADV, all of the things that you're going to do and operate, how you're going to how you're going to structure your fees for all of your clients. Um, you have to be you have to be careful about those things, but then you have to decide you're going to go from practitioner. Now you're going to be a business owner, but now you have an RIA, so now you're going to be like a compliance person, right? Because the SEC doesn't really want to necessarily talk to your compliance person when there's problems. They want to come to you as the owner because you're the one that signed off on it. So, and a lot of these firms that provide the support for the compliance, you still have to have somebody on your staff as the operations or the CCO person to actually do the work, to be the, the front person, the front man, the front woman. You can have guidance to do those things, but now you're, you're focused on the compliance tasks, which takes you away from client facing and some revenue generating tasks. So these are some of the conversations that we consult with our advisor teams on. Yeah, well, and there's about, no right or wrong answer. No, it, look, there is no right or wrong answer. And our job is to tell you the good, the bad, and the ugly, because what will happen, what, what we see far too often is um, you talk to a recruiter at Schwab or TD or one of the custodians. I'm not picking on Schwab or TD, maybe a little bit, but, you know, and they're telling you it's easy. They're telling you it's not a problem. It doesn't cost that much to start your RIA um, and compliance isn't that hard. Just go out and hire a, you know, a compliance person for $75,000, which you're going to pay twice that for a really good compliance person. Oh, right, 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 exactly. And so we go through this with them, and then we, un- we, tr- we try to educate them that there are alternatives, right, that you can tuck into a, a large-scale RIA and still still have that feel and, comp- and, and independent feel and run the money you want to run the way you want to run it and do the branding and marketing and all the other stuff. But maybe the larger firm has all the compliance, and they do everything, very much like an independent broker-dealer. Well, it's also the conversation of if you want to be advisory only or RIA only, you can achieve that. You can be somebody if you're, you know, 98% advisory business, you don't want to deal with the legacy annuities or the any of the other brokerage business. So drop your Series 7. That's fine. At a true RIA only model, you can do those things, but you don't have to. Because a lot of the RIAs that we work with have friendly broker-dealer relationships, or in some cases, they own a broker-dealer. But if you're somebody that wants to truly go RIA only, meaning roll onto an ADV of an RIA or be an IAR of an RIA, a lot of alphabet soup yeah, there, right, yeah. um, you can, there's so many, so many options, and that's what we're here to provide, that guidance to help you figure out what's the right scenario and structure for you and your practice. Yeah, look, and you can, with, with firms like LPL, just pick two, LPL and Raymond James, you, you can affiliate with them and just affiliate with their RIA. 
So you're on their corporate RIA, um, and you get all of the uh, accoutrements of being at a, it's a 10 cent word right there. Um, accoutrements, I don't know. I don't know. Just, I know the word. I don't know how to spell it. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want me to go on a spelling bee. Let's put it that way. Um, but you get all the benefits of being part of a larger organization um, and do all the fee based business. And so, but as an example, I know you had one of the questions that you wrote down. Sometimes, well, you know, one of the questions we ask is, well, how much brokerage business do you do you do, right? And they're like, well, I don't, I don't really have any. And then we say, well, okay, well, how much mutual fund trail business do you have? Oh, it's about thirty percent of my business. And you might not understand that mutual fund trails, C shares, right, L shares, whatever, even though they are recurring revenue to you, they are not considered advisory revenue. They are considered brokerage revenue. You still need a broker dealer relationship. Right. And you still need to have your Series 7. Like, you have to have that. So to I, I see that as a knockout more than anything else because it's like, well, I'm not giving up my trails, right? Or or annuity trails. It's the same thing. Oh, right. If you've been in the business a long time and you've had A shares that converted to to, to L shares years ago, um, or, or we I, we're, actually, we're working with one advisor and he has like, I don't know, $2 million in, in A share trails. Think about that. In A share trails, which is like 25 basis points, because um, he's been doing it for so long, he can't really go R- RIA because he'd have to convert his whole entire book of business. Well, RIA only. But RIA only. I think the right. I think the point is is that we're trying to um, have everybody realize that you can be at an RIA and park your brokerage assets at a friendly broker dealer. And there's some usual suspects out there. I don't know if we want to convey that now, but you have so many choices to keep that brokerage business and still be an IAR of an RIA, or you can go to a hybrid RIA model where they are an RIA, but they own a friendly broker dealer. So it's all in-house. So the, yeah, they and own it. Right, right. They own it. It's in-house and right. you're and you're on both sides of the fence. You know, it's interesting because if you're at Morgan or Merrill, what you don't realize is that's the structure you're under right now. Your brokerage business is with their brokerage side. And your advisory business is on their is with is, is on their custody side, so you just had to figure out what what do you want to be when you grow up, right? And what you're really looking to do, um, you know, do you want to run money yourself or do you want to affiliate with a with a firm that runs the money for you? These are some of the questions that you have to ask. But it really just comes down to why are you even considering doing that, right? Um, are you what I think what we both find is. Sometimes an, an, an advisor says, well, I'm going to go RIA because they think that's the new wave thing to do. New she-she right. thing to do. And right. I'm going to stay as far away from the I'm going to get 100% asset. of my payout. Right. You're not. Right. Right. That's the gross payout. That's- right. Here's the gross payout. And then there's $150,000 for a compliance officer. There's probably $50,000 for an annual uh, consulting fee for an outside consulting firm, like a, like a market counsel. Right. Attorney. Right. An attorney. And then it's all the other charges that get involved and technology. Right. So, that, right. Then you're going to have to piecemeal. You're using Black Diamond or Orion or whatever, all the other technology softwares versus. And so you if you take all that stuff into account and then you get down to what your real gross payout is, it's going to be in, the, you know, probably going to be in the 80s. Right. Mid to high 80s. And then you have all your local expenses. So. There, what I have found after doing dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of P&L analysis and dozens, and dozens that when you take all that stuff com- combined, it's, it's a few points, two, three, four points comparison between doing it yourself, taking on all the risk and exposure, 
versus running PL running versus affiliating with a larger institution, whether it's a larger institution, an RIA, or just an independent broker dealer like an LPL or Raymond James or other, you know, other firms out there, Cambridge and you name and you know, Satera and all the Osaic, all them, right? It's two, three, four points. So for economically, what I say to people is, what's that worth to you, right? It's to say what Stacy said about you become the compliance person versus going out and finding new business and finding new clients. Is that really what you want to do? And what are your strengths? What's your natural talent? How has your business grown from when you started till today? And how do you see it growing from today to 10 years, 20 years from now? It's probably not running compliance and worrying about the operational side of things. But that said, we still come across people that have an operational-minded advisor or person on their staff. So for those people, then we might feel more comfortable saying, yep, you're a billion-dollar firm coming out of a wirehouse or another independent or two billion. You have the capacity. You have the staff to do it. So the advisors that can focus on the real revenue generating, the client-facing tasks, do that because you have a compliance person and you're sizable enough where you have scale to do it and potentially bring other advisors into your practice. But if you don't have those things, let's talk. Let's talk about what that means for you specifically. Right. So you, you on your question, your list of questions here, you have one of them is, are you interested in bringing an advisor into your business? What, what's your thought there on that question? Well, meaning, are you are you an independent practice or are you an RIA and you want to grow through merger and acquisition? Are you somebody that likes growing hand-to-hand combat, client-by-client running seminars, or are you somebody that sees the value and gets excited about bringing other people into the infrastructure and the culture that you're building? So that comes with recruiting. It comes with you know merging junior advisors or acquiring other RIAs <laughs> Um, succession planning, it can mean a lot of different things. Or maybe it's 10 years ago, an advisor team, you know, with maybe 50 million in assets, built their own RIA and they're floundering, they're struggling. They don't have the scale, they don't have the time to do some of the things, the operational tasks that it takes. So for them, it's not bad. They're just, they're doing better for their business. They'll probably gain more profitability and more growth through recruiting and through focusing on what's really important for the net profitability of their business. Yeah, we're seeing a big trend with smaller, uh, I'll call it state-registered RIA, so $100 million and, and below. <laughs> We've actually talked to some some of them that are deliberately trying to not go over $100 million, um, which to me is <laughs> a, asinine that you would want to, I'm going to limit my, I'm going to limit how much money I make because I don't want to become a non-registered, non-state-registered RIA. Right. Okay, that's a great business model. Um, <laughs> it's like, Hey, we're gonna bring. We're gonna, it's like a, it's like building a football team and like paying top dollar for the right players and say, but well, we don't want to win the Super Bowl because we don't want the pressure for next year. We have to win again. <laughs> right, right, right. We don't want to lose the Super Bowl because we don't want to have to do it again next year, yeah. right? Or like saying, oh, we don't want to be undefeated because we don't want people talking about it. But the point is, is that if you're thinking about this whole RIA thing, there, there, and you're saying, well, I want to go and acquire and I want to go and recruit, then you also have to think about what does that mean to those advisors. I've talked to some RAs in the past where they, they're looking for the three, four hundred thousand dollar producers and they're like, I'm gonna go after the mineral guys and the Morgan guys that are that are that are getting low payouts and all the other stuff. I'm like, okay, you understand that half their business is probably brokerage business. So in order for you to go after them, you have to have a brokerage relationship. They're not coming to you if you're giving if they're giving up half their business. You're that friendly broker dealer. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um so it's all about these types of questions. 
And so <laughs> sometimes some of our clients, they say, they make a comment to us, or they ask, a, ask us a question and we answer with like eight more questions. So it's it's just really getting to understand what you're trying to get done. Especially in the in the RIA space where uh, maybe there's a sale. Uh, maybe it's a, a team that's looking to exit the business. And sometimes, and this is the best phrase I've heard in a long time, is that we have to spend as much time coaching the buyer of the RIA as we do the seller of the RIA. Because if you are an RIA that prides yourself with running these great models, um, the way that you, you know, your investment philosophies, and you're looking to sell your business, and it's so specific, then trying to bring somebody in to match that is a lot harder. And you might be waiting around for a long time, a couple of years, three, four, five years. So it's really important that if you are a buyer or someone that wants to acquire an RIA or a seller of an RIA, that maybe you consider how you're running your business now, what your goals are, because if you need somebody to come into your business to be a success, a, a succession plan, then maybe we have to talk about some, you know, some flexibility. Where Where is there wiggle room within your practice? Yeah, and we were actually, we, we did a podcast recently um, about on M&A, and one of the things was think, thinking about your practice um, five years from now. And so if you're going down that road, it's really about what is your what is the value of your practice today? And if you're the one running all the money and you are you love your models and you're only going to sell it to a, a firm that's going to take over your, your, your portfolios and run it your way, you're going to limit the number of buyers that you have. Um, and and you're going to limit the value that you that you're going to be able to put on your business because it's not as replicatable as um, as a business that's sort of maybe being run by an investment committee or or being run by outside money managers and where you're setting maybe allocations. But the success of the business is more beholden to you and your philosophies. Uh, actually, decreases the value of your practice. Just like if you're the sole if you're the if you're the owner of the business. And everything has to go through you. Sort of preaching to the choir here. Everything has to go through you, and you are it. You are the brand. You are. It's all about you, right? Um, there's risk in that for the buyers, and so you have to think about those things. Right? Like, how many people would join Frank Wealth Management? I mean, I right. don't know. I mean, I would think everybody. Well, there's okay. a lot of Franks going yeah, on right. here in Elite. Is it Frank LaRosa or Kevin Frank or Stacy Frank? Right. <laughs> it's every. It's all it's everybody. Of us. But the Kevin point Frank's is, husband, is that Tom Smith. Yeah. isn't going to want to join or Frank acquire Wealth Frank Wealth Management, whether it's your first or your last name. Right. Like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the point is, is that the more flexible you can be as a seller um, to find that right acquirer or successor, then maybe we need to talk through some, you know, where, where are you flexible? Where are you willing to give a little? Yeah. So, yeah. right. So when you look at the, the sort of this topic of the day, like to, to be an RIA, not be an RIA, it's not that simple. Right. It's not that complicated either. Right. But, it, but right. You can achieve it. And there is a spectrum of being being an RIA. It's just it's just a matter of what do you want to do to accomplish that? Like how much work are you willing to put in? Um, but also, I think what I see as this trend coming, I actually see a trend coming where these smaller RIAs and even even ones that aren't below one hundred million dollars. Right, 250, I believe that in order to get real scale to even consider being a, a strong RIA, you have to have at least a billion dollars um, or more. But anything under that, I really do see a trend, um, I call it sort of like swimming upstream, where these RIAs are going to roll, one, roll up into other RIAs, 
but also roll up into other independent broker dealers because independent broker dealers are still getting very flexible with what they're allowing advisors to do. And sometimes, this is another great thing, right? Sometimes you we talk to an R, a, 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 an advisor that wants to be an RAA and they, they tell us why. And it's all these pipe dreams of crazy, crazy things, uh, which aren't necessarily good for their business long-term, right? And so you really have to be careful what you wish for. Like be, well, they talk about wanting to do certain investment strategies and I want to be able to do this with my clients. And I'll be, I'm like, whoa, you can't do both of those things at the same time, working with other types of advisors and paying different people to bring business in. And there's some things that they do that the SEC would love to find out that you're doing, right? Because they'll start, they'll start uh, hitting you with big fines, which is the other thing I think people are misunderstanding that you, oh, I want to go to, I want to become an RIA because I'm tired of FINRA. Okay, well, the SEC is getting worse. Um, going through a FINRA audit is somewhat easy. Most of the stuff's done remotely. Maybe they come in for a few dives, a yeah, FINRA audit, right? They come in for a few days. Um, they find some stuff. Maybe they, you know, whatever you did, you, you didn't file your client files the right way or they're not in alphabetical order or something. But when the SEC comes in, uh, they're coming in for months at a time and they're going to find something. Um, I was telling a story uh, last yesterday about an, an RA that I was working that was talking with. They got audited, and they had a huge fine. I won't say the number, but it was six multiple six figures because they had a set um, set advisory fee pricing in their ADV for all their clients. And four or five years ago, they started discounting that fee to be competitive, but they never changed. They never changed the ADV, right? And they oh they didn't go back to the clients that are already with them and lower their fees. They were only lowering the fees on the new clients. Oh my gosh. Well, well, the SEC found out and went, oh, that's interesting. You need you, it once you started discounting off of your advisory grid to new clients. You now they calculated it was like four and a half years. They calculated how much money. They should have discounted their existing clients and they had to pay back all their, their existing clients to level all the fees. So if you're somebody that really cares about, you know, engaging with your clients and bringing in new clients, why would you ever want to do that? No, thanks. I mean, there's folks out there and I've had them, I've had conversations where they love that stuff, the operational side of things, but it's because they have a dedicated person. But if you're not somebody that really loves that stuff, then maybe you shouldn't consider yeah. filing your own ADV. There's a lot of tremendous, um, really robust platforms out there within the RIA space that have multiple custodians, really competitive technology. Consider them for a period of time yeah. because they have scale and resources and you don't have to figure it out. It's already there for you. Yeah, look, we I have a close friend of mine that was leaving an um, independent broker-dealer f- firm, sort of independent broker-dealer, and, um, you know, the idea, they were talking about this concept of going independent. This was about four or five years ago. And they weren't necessarily ready. They were at $800 million or so in, in AUM, but they weren't, and they had a team and they had traders and they had like a real business, right? Um, but what we realized or what they realized, and we went through the numbers and we crunched the numbers and we came down to this number of basically two and a half percentage points. It was maybe three. So we ended up bringing them to an independent broker dealer a hybrid independent broker dealer 
that had Fidelity as the, on the brokerage side and Schwab on the on the corporate RIA side. So they were <clears throat> right. So they were able to move everything over there. So they were still under the firm's um, ADV, corporate ADV. But the plan was going to be in four or five years when they get a certain size, and they want to have, have the option to go RIA, but keep. And technically, it was with TD, not necessarily Schwab, but they had Schwab and TD for the firm, right? So they chose TD, but te- they want to be able to do that. And when they made that decision, not disrupt the clients and have to change their accounts. So by staying with that custodian on the corporate RIA side, and then when they open up their own, which they're in the process of doing now, they don't have to do anything with their clients because their clients are staying with Schwab. Right. So you also, I think the bigger, the the, the roundabout uh, message there is it doesn't have to be all or nothing doesn't have to be, I'm going from Morgan Stanley to open up my own RIA, right? You don't have to do that. And really, the the overarching message here for, from us is you also don't have to do it alone. We're here to help. Um, Stacy's here to help. You know, we have Vince now that spent years at Schwab, uh, really TD than Schwab, right? But he lives and breathes RIA world. Uh, we work with dozens of high-quality RIAs that have a great value proposition. Of billions, of of right. Of that have all sorts of custodians, Goldman Sachs and Merrill Lynch and even UBS and Morgan Stanley, like everybody. So there's so many options. Just be mindful about what you're looking for and make sure, you know, whether it's whether you work with us or you work with another consulting firm, and there's some good ones out there, Right, we're the best, but there's some good ones out there, right? <laughs> Little plug there, right? Um, we're you know we're, we're pretty good, um, but at least work with with somebody because you'll get skewed information from a guy or a gal who's selling Schwab, right? And they're gonna tell you why Schwab is the best thing since sliced bread, or Fidelity, or Pershing, or or some of the other smaller ones, right? Um, Raymond James or even LPL has their custodial platform, right? And they're all they all are they all are good for for different reasons. For different reasons. Right. Um, and you can spend every single day of the entire year going through this process, and you're and and which isn't good for your business. Uh, or you can work with us or Kenley, another you know if you want to work with another firm, work with work with another firm. But there's some firms out there like ours that this is all we do. Right. This is all we do all day long is we learn about this stuff and we hear the stories. And so we sort of know it's like what you do is you work with your clients all the time and you know what's happening in the market and you know what's going on with your clients accounts. That's what we do here. These conversations are coming at us in droves and there's a lot of myths out there or confusion as to what being an RIA or going RIA. That's what a lot of people say is going RIA. I want to go RIA. Um, but we're here to help you define what that means, whether it's enhancing your advisory business strictly or truly mo- moving into the RIA only space and just keeping a friendly broker dealer on the side and then everything in between. And we know who the good players are. We know who's growing. We know who has the staff to help support you in your practice, help you make those difficult decisions um, with our guidance as well. Yeah, who's pretending and who's actually executing. Right. Who's good, who's not. Right. So anyway, listen, we're very passionate about this. This is why we wanted to talk about it. Uh, we are actually even more passionate about making sure advisors don't make mistakes. 
And because uh, it's hard to unwind and you, all of a sudden you can get into a bad place and you've just told your clients you're moving and you went through this whole change and it's not what you said, what they said it was and, and you don't want to go backwards. So, um, you know, if you have any questions and you want to talk to somebody, you want to email Stacy at Stacy S T A C E Y. Don't forget the E. Don't forget the E at, at Elite Consulting Partners. And what's your phone number? 856-816-6322. Got it. So, or you can call me at 856-316-4651 and email me at frank at eliteconsultingpartners.com. Don't forget to check out my Instagram account. We just crossed 75,000 Instagram followers. Rock on. Awesome. Uh, thanks for my marketing team and our CMO business. Um, if you're actually, if you're looking for a CMO business and you're looking to brand and, and expand your practice through branding, uh, you want to check out our, our CMO services. It's crushing. You know, so we have oh, so many, RIs, so many RIs coming on board, right? Um, just because we understand the business. It's all we do. It's all we focus on. Um, you can email uh, Tina at EliteConsultingPartners.com. She's, she's the president of that organization. Um, but this is what we do. This is what we love to do. We live and breathe it. Uh, everything we do every single day is all about serving the financial advisor. Uh, we hope we can serve you. If you have any questions, just give us a call and uh, we look forward to helping you. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Advisor Talk with Frank LaRosa. If you're looking for more advice or solutions on any topics in the financial services industry, or you just want to subscribe to our podcast, head on over to EliteConsultingPartners.com slash podcasts.